0: to american education f m everybody I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. okay, hi, everybody. Welcome back Here's what I want to do. I want to make a couple of comments about the last episode and those parents who, of course, were losing their minds at that board meeting and why I think revisiting this is remarkably important. first of all, as you heard me say in the last episode a lot of these individuals, again, are of like mind. They have no idea what's going on. They have no idea that they're being manipulated in numerous ways. And I've heard from people inside of the school district itself that all of those participants, at least all of the ones that you heard talking who were generally speaking on the same issues and their pseudo-concerns, that they were the ones who apparently were either recruited or they all agreed to speak because the teachers' union decided to have them all show up, or wanted to have them show, show up, or some meeting again took place where they all agreed that that was going to be the case. That would explain the larger participation within that particular meeting. I think that that's basically depressing times two, if I was to, if I was to just add anything onto that. Not only, again, are these people stuck in the matrix, but they're still being led around. And these parents, in particular, are now being led around by a teacher's union who is frustrated with the way that the school board is handling things. Again, you heard me say in the last episode that the liberal snake always eats its own tail. And that, of course, is happening. And and that was a perfect example of it, I thought. That's not going to go away. And again, as I said in the end of that episode, one of the things that takes place is is that they have no idea that they're being manipulated by the board itself. So apparently next month in March, when they have their next board meeting, that's when they're going to decide about the bundling of the schools or the binding of the grades or however they pronounce that. But that's when that decision will allegedly be made and uh i would I would expect that that particular board meeting is is going to be interesting also. I want to mention this too, and you've heard me say this before that I don't give any quarter to child abusers. The irony of that last meeting was that these very people were consistently bringing up the subject of mental health, and now all of the sudden, mental health is one of their concerns They're cons- again you heard me say at the end of the episode that one of the phrases or, or set of words or codes of words that they were using consistently were you know was basically mental health. mental health, mental health, We're we're concerned about the mental health of this and mental health of that. There's two avenues here I want to bring up: number one liberals, and you know this, so it's not new. liberals will always use people who are not themselves as the example to make their point, and then at the exact same time claim that they are defending said people. So, you heard almost every single liberal person use the phrases disadvantaged or minority or, uh, you know, all those different phrases that they use and those categorizations that they use to basically say to the school board, you're not defending those kinds of people. Well, Again, that's just what liberals do. They, they use people outside of themselves to basically say, this is what's going on and you're, the pro-, you know, you're, not, you're not thinking of these groups and therefore you're a bigot or you're discriminating against these people or whatever pseudo complaint they might have. They always lean on the handicapped or the minorities in order to make a particular point. Instead of just making their own point having to do with them – they always try to make it sound like they're, they're taking care of everybody else. When, when, of course, if that were really the case, they would never open their doors to such individuals if, uh, if push came to shove. They wouldn't do that. And, and we know that, and that's been tested time and time again. Again, one of the national examples of that being the case was sending all of the illegals to Kamala Harris's front door. You know that you know if you love them so much, why don't you just take them in? Well, when you when you call their when you call their bluff, you know they're they're caught uh, <laughs> they're caught with their cards in their hands and they don't, just don't know what to do. So that's that's the sad part about that. The second part is this: given their use of the phrase mental and emotional health, and now all of a sudden they're concerned about mental and emotional health. Why were they not concerned about it when they were gagging children since 2020? Why were they not concerned about it then? Why were they not concerned about not only gagging their own children, but but being so adamant, I should say, about gagging other children, making them wear masks, encouraging them to take shots, encouraging them to distance? to kick their children out of school don't send your children to school if they feel sick or look sick or whatever it may be isolating students in these isolation rooms locking the door from the outside so that the students can't leave the, the list is endless when it comes to the mental and emotional deterioration of children and how the school environment and the parents who attend and the teachers who work there and the administrators that they were responsible for all of this But see, that's the problem. They never look in the mirror. They never look backwards at their past examples and their indiscretions and stupidity, I should say. And they never look backwards and say, well, wait a minute, here's the hypocrisy. We were were screaming mental health a while back and we did something that we've never done before that in 2019 and every year previously would have been a fireable offense if teachers or administrators had done this to our children, but now all of a sudden we were advocating for it, and now all of a sudden it's all gone away. No one's wearing masks anymore, by and large, no children except for the ultimate brainwashed. The jabs are out. Those bioweapon shots are hurting and killing and sterilizing and making barren everybody who has taken them. But remember, ladies and gentlemen, it's the mental and emotional health that these parents are concerned about when it comes to having their elementary school children trade buildings every 2 years or drive a little further to get to a school or all of their pseudo concerns and you know and, and their small worries about uh, some particular plan that's allegedly going to take place the hypocrisy knows no bounds these people are incapable of looking in the mirror and reflecting on what they've done in the past how they've permanently damaged their own children, and I will never give quarter to any of those people whatsoever. I will make fun of them to the end of time. That's the way that it's going to be. End of story. I'm going to make fun of these people. I f- I, I think it's sad that they're brainwashed. I really do. But as you've heard me say on this show, they are not considering the long-term ramifications, let alone the short-term ramifications of what they've done to their own children. A time will come when their own children will be out in society, potentially as an adult, assuming that they're not jabbed. And they'll say to their parents, why did you make me wear a mask? It says on the very box of these masks that they do nothing and that this isn't how this is transmitted. And I've learned that now. And, you know, electromagnetism is how this is transmitted. It's not through coughing and sneezing. Why is it that you didn't ask questions and look up the truth about all of this, and instead you just sent me and my siblings to these abusive environments to just do what they were telling you to do? Why didn't you protect us from these environments? That's going to be the axe that falls in the future. That's going to be the real divide between parents and children. And I have to tell you, The powers that be are counting on that. The powers that be are always trying to drive a wedge between parents and children. In the future, I think that's going to go in one of two directions. Either those children, again, if they're not jabbed and they're still alive, those children are either going to become more dependent on government to provide them the answers that they seek, or they will become more independent-minded. They will not trust government, but they also won't trust the, their brainwashed parents anymore either. I'm not saying that's necessarily a bad thing. I think that it could be a generational lesson that takes place It's going to be a very important lesson. It's going to be heartbreaking to watch the divide between, um, I guess I would call them, well, I mean, you could pick a generation. It could be the divide between millennials and Gen Xers. It could be the d- divide between millennials and, and Gen Yers. Uh, you know, whatever generation you want to pick, it's just going to be a serious divide between those who know and those who do not know, those who blindly followed and those who decided to resist against everything that was taking place, and not participate in the brainwashing. But my point, too, is that we can't—we just can't let these people, we, we can't give an inch on these individuals. We need to highlight their hypocrisy as much as humanly possible. Again, I have a small audience here. Thank you for listening again. That's what I try to do here. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to point out the blatant hypocrisy over the course of time and say, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. You don't get to now all of a sudden be concerned with the mental and emotional health of children. After two plus years, we're coming up on three years now of abusing them because of a lie. See, these people still don't know that they've been lied to. Many of them don't. And they don't want and they certainly wouldn't admit it. In fact, from a nonverbal standpoint, if you were to look at these individuals and bring that up either in a board meeting or a city council meeting or, or publicly to them, you know, with a larger forum, I'm certain that the response that they would have from a nonverbal communication standpoint is they would drop their heads or they would avert their eyes. I've seen this before when I've said particular things publicly with, with a group of people in a room, the guilty ones will look away. The guilty ones will look down They'll, they'll, they'll not look at you when they were previously looking at you. And then all of a sudden, you know, a little, maybe a little bit of reflection starts to kick in and they start to go, well, I, I guess I did, but whatever. And then they imme- immediately rationalize it away. That's a huge issue. And I'm certain that that's exactly what would happen. Same thing with school board members. If you were to bring up their hypocrisy, they would look down at the ground. They would look away from you. They would look like a child who was being scolded by a parent. Because that's that's who they are. They're children. They behave they behave like children. They get in front of a microphone, they yell, they scream, they shout, they whine. You know, I'm not getting my way, I'm not getting my way. But, you know, you're not thinking of the handicapped kids, and you're not thinking of the minorities, and you're not being equitable and and whatever. It's it's beyond hypocritical, is the whole point but I'm not going to lay off of these people. I'm just going to stay on the pedal. I'm going to keep going after them because they have to be gone after. And that's the only way to do it. You know, you, you cannot reason with these people. You cannot, uh, I, I really don't think that you can change all of their minds. However, if anybody listened to that previous board meeting, I'm certain that if there was a fence sitter at the time, there's no longer a fence sitter. There's no way that, again, you listen to a board meeting like that with the complaining that was going on, and then all of the sudden they're now going, well, I'm still going to sit on the fence regarding all of these issues, and I haven't learned a single thing this entire time. You're either going to go one way or the other, which means people are waking up, and that's a great thing. I'm never going to discredit the, the power of that, nor can I predict all of it. People wake up on their own time, and we don't know what it takes to get them to wake up. But whatever it is, I, I think a school board meeting like what you heard in the last episode is a perfect example of that. And, uh, and as you heard me say, and this is, the, this is going to be the interesting part going forward, is that that's going to get louder and louder and louder. And the louder they get and the more hysterical they become because their matrix is slipping through their fingers, more and more people are going to see that, hear that, and leave the environment. Because they want nothing to do with it. That's waking up in itself, I think. That's the waking up process also, and that's a beautiful thing. So that's going to continue to happen, and I'm going to do my best to keep bringing that to people's attention. Okay. A couple of geopolitical things here. I have a ton of education-related things. I have some follow-ups regarding 5G emails that I have sent to uh, my local city here. I want to bring that up, too. And then some jab related things, including the WHO's uh, pandemic treaty nonsense, because this is going to get jacked up. Uh, Okay, here we go. First of all, I watched that Jacqueline Berger election fraud video regarding Arizona and the Sinaloa cartel and the deeds and the property and the money exchanges and all of it. It's beyond compelling. It's beyond compelling. No doubt in my mind it's taking place. I think pretty much everybody knows it's taking place. And uh, Katie Hobbs is in a world of hurt, as she should be and as should a ton of other politicians in Arizona. There's even a giant list going around of other individuals who have questionable deeds in their possession. And um, yeah. It's just it's a massive list of Arizona politicians regarding the property that they own and how they acquired it, and so on and so forth so and she's wearing the boot now she's one of many others who have worn the boot and is currently wearing the boot, and a lot of people of course think that there's an ankle monitor on there because uh she's been indicted or an indictment has has come to her attention regarding her involvement in something. It's just interesting when all of these politicians are walking around in boots. And speaking of that, of all other governors, Mike DeWine. Of course, Katie Hobbs isn't the real governor, but Mike DeWine also allegedly suffered a ankle in injury while in East Palestine. And uh, is wearing a boot also for at least the next two to three weeks. I find that interesting. Said he slipped on something or hit something or whatever. Okay. You know, back in my day, if you twisted your ankle or you hurt your foot, you were on crutches. You weren't walking around in one of these boots. So I'm not saying I'm up to date on, on everything medical. I'm certainly not. But it's it certainly seems a bit strange, does it not? That uh, you hurt your foot or your ankle and then you end up in one of these walking boots and you're walking around like it's no problem. I don't get it. I think it's suspicious beyond uh, beyond a doubt, and that's the way that that is. Uh, I wanted to mention this, too. This was a bit odd, and I didn't feel very good when the whole thing ended. Um, but you may recall that I was invited to be on the Blood Money podcast a while back, I think at the beginning of the month, if I'm not mistaken. And the interview took place later in the evening, which is not necessarily when I do my best thinking. I'm, I'm rather tired, as as many of us are, and uh, and it took place. I want to say around six or seven at night, and we we were talking for maybe two hours. Um, you know, I I went into that particular interview, and and there was no setup to it. There was no hey, let's talk about this, or here, you know, here are some bullet points of of what we can talk about and whatever else. And I thought to myself. Well, I'll just go into this and I'll just answer any questions they have and I'll tell them whatever they want to hear and and we'll we'll go from there. It was interesting listening to the questions that were being asked my way because they basically wanted me to rehash my entire education experience. You know, it was it almost felt like an interview. It was like tell me about yourself, where you've been, what you've done, and I thought, really? This is this is what you want to talk about? Why don't we talk about the bioweapons? Why don't we talk about the collapse of K12 education? Why don't we talk about a thousand other things that are taking place like nobody's attending university campuses anymore. And the only people who are are typically jabbed and uh and they're not making the connections as to why no one is on their own campus when they are on that campus. So it was you know i i i didn't i don't know it was it was interesting i may have said some things that they were wondering about or or questioning they were starting to ask me that you know the host of the show again seemed like a nice guy I have no reason to believe otherwise but it seemed like he was he was fishing for other explanations. You know, what is it about the curriculum that's false, that gets taught in school? And I looked at him and I said, that's a deep rabbit hole. I said, how, how deep do you want to go on that? And I brought up a couple of just quick examples. And then, you know, we we moved on. Um, there's just so much to talk about that I felt like I was having to rehash my entire life and my entire career and everything that I, of course, say on my own show. And it was it was a bit exhausting. So they claimed that they wanted me to come back in a month, but they also claimed that they were going to air the episode just a couple of days later, uh, that very next week, and they never did. They never aired the episode, and I can't find it, and it doesn't exist. So I'm not sad that it doesn't exist. It wasn't my best appearance. You can probably, if anybody was to watch it who knows me, you'd probably detect the impatience that I have regarding the whole thing not to mention the technology kept breaking down on his end regarding the the, the particular v- video streaming platform that we were using it was a uh, it was a web-based platform it wasn't like zoom or skype or anything it was something else it's a program i've never used And it just, it kept cutting out and the audio was bad on his end, apparently, and it was just kind of jacked up. So we kept having to log back out and then log back in and it was just, whatever, it was exhausting. So I'm not inclined to do things like that much anymore. It's not really my thing. I can say far more in a shorter amount of time on, on this show than I can maybe on others. It's not that I'm ungrateful for the invitation, it's not that I don't even enjoy having the conversation, it's just I don't like going backwards to rehash everything and try to try to educate someone brand new about either myself or larger issues at play. Um, you know, it, I don't know, it was pretty evident that they didn't listen to my show. And I thought that was a bit odd because you know, if you want to do homework on someone, you you listen to their show. So, it didn't seem like they had done their homework anyway. And uh, that's just my two cents on the whole thing. So you're probably never going to see that interview, which is 100% fine by me. Okay. Just wanted to mention that. And there you go. Not that anybody was looking for the interview. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't going to go back and watch it because I, I really didn't care. But it, it, it just wasn't very well done. Um, with that said, let me move into this the 15 minute city thing here in Cleveland. In Cleveland, Ohio. Of course, I don't live in Cleveland. Cleveland, as we as we call it in Ohio, one of the two armpits of Ohio. The other armpit is Toledo, and uh, that's just the way that it is. The discussion about the 15-minute cities is an important one to have because it's remarkably dangerous for a variety of reasons. It's of course communism, because once you have a 15-minute city, you end up electing more people which means you end up electing more money launderers who end up doing whatever it is that they want to do and then of course it, at the exact same time it monopolizes the particular areas because those particular areas end up having the similar kinds of stores even though they're selling it to the citizens as as being different and oh we're not going to have similar kinds of stores you know you can have the 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 stores that you want and so on and so forth i i you know this is a this is a deep rabbit hole here but I'll start off by saying this. The 15-minute city thing is not new. This is very old, as a matter of fact, and I want to go back and say it's at least five years old. That, that's around the first time when I first heard it, it was about five years ago, that, that breaking down larger cities into smaller areas was a way that was going to not only monopolize the companies within those particular areas, but it's being sold to people as decreasing crime. Of course, we all know that that's not true. Not to mention the 5G element to all of it and cooking people within those 15-minute ranges. And then, of course, forcing all of the electric vehicles on people and, oh, you can, you know, everything's within 15 minutes, give or take, so you can just go from here to here to here and you don't ever have to go beyond that and you don't have to explore and you can just, you know, stay right where you are. It's all dangerous. It It's not new. And Mayor Justin Bibb of Cleveland, who is a very young black male, I'm going to assume he's gay, because at this point, why not? And uh, and he ran in 2021-2022 on the issue of 15-Minute Cities. He ran on this as, as as a thing, as one of his election platform topics. And he won. Or was installed, one of the two, not that there are ethical elections taking place in Cleveland. I mean, that's that, that certainly would never happen. But the people around him, of course, all agree on this. And the people pulling the strings have nothing but nefarious ties to other corporations and other organizations. And, and none of this is good. I just wanted to reiterate that it's not a new thing. It's rather old, this idea. Probably predates five years ago when I first heard about it. I'm sure it's much older than that. But Cleveland, of course, has now signed up to be one of the first 15 minute cities, and that's allegedly official. They're claiming that Detroit is going to be next. Now, again, why are they picking Cleveland and Detroit, and why are Cleveland and Detroit and the politicians within? and those with those particular ideologies and sexual proclivities and n x y z why are they accepting all of this it's all of course because of money and control and they're getting again they're they're getting paid from outside people this should not shock anybody all of these mentions of this shouldn't shock anybody so i'm not sure what else to say um it's interesting that they are crime-ridden locations that are, of course, accepting this. And uh they use all the fancy words. Well, we have the data that says this will work, and you know, it's it's more likely to work if if we do this, and the 15-minute city thing, and algorithms, and we have all of these community mapping programs, and it's all going to work and They're not going to have to travel, so they're not going to have to spend so much money on this, that, or the other. There will be close-by health care, quote-unquote, and food and clothing. You know, you take all of that into effect, and yet you look at the mobs of individuals who, again, don't tend to be white, but mobs of individuals that are looting these places, and then the companies that are removing themselves from these towns and these cities because they're being looted. I just saw a story the other day that said that a giant Nike store, I think in Portland, Oregon, if I'm not mistaken, or Seattle is one of the two places, uh, wanted to come back to that city having previously left because they got robbed and they got looted. The mobs of, of blacks ran in, stole all the shoes and left. And Nike was like, we just lost a bunch of money. We're not going to have a store here. Now they want their store back, but they want 24-hour surveillance and security around their store to keep it from being robbed again. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> what you know? What do they think is going to happen in a 15-minute city? All they're really doing is is making it easier for places to be robbed. That's all. I mean, Cleveland's dangerous anyway. Let's not kid ourselves. I've been there a number of times. There's nothing there. I mean, I hate it. Cleveland's disgusting. If you've ever been, it's gross. There's nothing about it that's uh, that's nice. And and I know that they are selling the 15-minute city thing as being, you know, well, we're going to improve things and we're going to improve housing and we're going to do this, we're going to do that. Again, anytime government touches something, it turns to dust. And if you give it to individuals for free who don't know how to take care of what they already have, how's that going to work out? I mean, look at the Habitat for Humanity homes. They're slums, aren't they? They certainly are where I live. They end up becoming homes for illegals. They end up looking terrible, run down, destroyed, because that's that's what you're doing. You're building something that's brand new and nice for someone who doesn't know how to take care of something that's brand new and nice, and they ruin it. So, yeah, I don't know what else to say, really. Uh, it's going to be awful if it takes place, but man alive, you know, you can't, You can't convince those politicians that it's a bad idea. I just don't think you can do that. I think that they've made their minds up. They've got their checks signed and and cashed. The money's right where it needs to be as far as they're concerned, and they're going to move forward no matter what. I don't see it. I don't see that becoming a widespread thing. I don't see Columbus, for example, signing on to that. I don't see Cincinnati doing that. Uh. I think time will tell, but I don't see them doing that. I don't see a lot of cities doing it. So, there you go. Okay. Uh, Moving on here, education-related. And there's a great deal. A great deal of stuff. Um, Let me start with this, because I know this was making the rounds last week, regarding the books written by Roald Dahl. And there are a number of them. And of course, a number of movies were based on the books and so on and so forth. There was an interesting phrase, I'll say, or sentence that was used regarding the perversion and manipulation of the writing of Roald Dahl to now where it's being changed and particular words are being taken out and characters are being rewritten and the imagery and the words that he used in those books is being eliminated ladies and gentlemen, that's a Kazarian Mafia Bolshevik tactic. 100%. Again, that's the kind of move that was made in Weimar Germany with the Weimar Republic. That's a problem. When you rewrite literature to purposefully delete what the author had intended, to again align with your own ideologies and vocabulary, even if that vocabulary is completely pretend, that's a that's a Khazarian mafia Bolshevik tactic. It's it's Marxism. It's Bolshevism. And yes, Khazarians are Satanic Jews by and large. But you know that's that's the connection there. It's an old history tactic. I mean, it's an old history lesson that repeats itself time and time again. But it's not because. It's an accident. It's repeating itself because it's people who are repeating it. And the sentence, I should say, because before I digressed on that, was that the the phrase that was used and the sentence that was used in the media reporting was the following regarding Roald Dahl's books. They said, quote, a British publisher is now going to rewrite and, and revise Roald Dahl's books for a quote-unquote wider audience. A British publisher, that's how they phrase it. The publisher may be centered in Britain. The publisher may print and publish the works in Britain, but they are not British in the sense that They don't have any other uh, religious or ideological affiliation. They're trying to make it sound like it's a geographic decision, not a satanic or ideological decision. It certainly is that. They can be located in Britain all they want. My question is what are the names of the publishers? Who are they? Who are these individuals making these decisions? What are their names? What are their last names? What are their ties? What have they done in the past? But we don't have to know all of that because we already know. We already know who they are. And we know that they're, they're being paid to do this. And they believe that they have an audience. And at the exact same time for them, for the Bolshevik, it's not about the money. It's about sending the message. It's about saying, we're going to hijack the works of a historic figure who is a patriot, I might add. I mean, he served in the military had a large family roll doll I'm speaking of um even though of course the wars were all manipulated and everything else so I know the word patriot gets gets uh misused from time to time either way he seemed like a rather stand up individual who thought he was doing the right thing and then of course wrote these books for children and one of the things that he intentionally did in those books which really sent the, the lasting message among children who have read his books and even people who have seen the movies, is that he very, he very purposefully used words and imagery and words to describe a, a visual standpoint of both the innocent people in his books and in his literature and the enemy and the evil in his literature. There was a purposeful polarizing effect within his books, the same way that when you read an old comic book, you open up an old comic book and you can you can immediately tell. And I I used to love comics. I collected them. I read them. I loved them when I was a kid. Superman in particular, but a, you know a bunch of them, and you you knew who the good guys and the bad guys were. You even knew. When you would read these, by, again, the way that they were illustrated, both physically and even in just the writing and the things that they would say, you could easily pick up who it was that you should be suspicious of also. They didn't necessarily have all of the physical characteristics of somebody that you would perceive to be as good or evil, but there were some things that they would say where you thought to yourselves, maybe I shouldn't trust this person. Again, reading old comic books, I'm telling you what, there was really something to it that really teaches us about the world we live in now. And it's not even, again, that they depicted all of the good guys and the bad guys accurately, but the behaviors. The moral and immoral behavior was beyond evident, and it was there. But now they're blurring the lines and seeking to blur the lines with these books. If I didn't say it earlier... They're also going to do this with Ian Fleming's James Bond. And now they're going backwards with James Bond books, and they're going to seek to do the exact same thing. They're going to blur the lines. They're going to blur the lines between good and evil. They're going to take out all the words that they want, all the imagery they want. They're going to take out the feminism aspect and the real femininity, femininity I should say, of, of females which exists in James Bond movies, as we all know, and the masculinity aspect of James Bond. Again, it's only a matter of time before James Bond is, uh, you know, is, is a transsexual. And then what? I mean, they pretty much jumped the shark with the last movie, but either way, it, it's Bolshevism is the point, and it's not going away, and it's not going to, it's not going to keep going away. Which actually leads me to this because I wanted to mention this too, and again this was <laughs> this is right up there with you know what on earth are you thinking when it comes to parents and their children? There was a video bouncing around the other day, I know it was on the blaze, and it was on a lot of other places, but there was a dad who was uh well, it started off with a with a son, a kid, and I want to say it was elementary or middle school, one of the two, and he showed up to a school board meeting, walked up to the lectern, and he started talking about and reading directly from one of those perverse books that's been read at school board meetings a thousand times. Again, not a new thing, but okay. You know, this This kid wanted, wanted to get on video and his parents wanted him on video and, and whatever else. When the kid was done reading the particular portion of the book, the next speaker to come up was his father. And his father openly admits, again, well, uh, let me say this first. What was weird was, and disgusting, and again shouldn't shock people but it was it was uh it was revealing nonetheless was that the kid said that when he checked the book out and he knew what book it was and he knew it was perverse and it wasn't what he wanted but he was checking it out to prove to his parents hey look at what's in our library so again kudos to the kid he's doing a little investigative work and that's awesome uh, and he's highlighting the larger problem he said he walked up to the librarian and the librarian asked him whether or not he wanted more books like that. That's sexual grooming. See, that right there, ladies and gentlemen, is exactly why I'm not a school teacher anymore. That's the kind of stuff I had to listen to and watch on a constant basis, not with books, but with actual physical behavior between teachers and and students. Um, Sexual grooming exists in a variety of ways, and that, of course, is one of the ways. Uh, so again, good for the kid for doing it, but then what happens next, I think is, is sad and, and, or I should say just disappointing. The dad comes up and he starts again, sort of yelling at the school board about what they're doing with these books and they got to get rid of them and whatever else. And then the dad says, Hey, look, I don't work anymore. He goes, I don't work. I don't have a job. He goes, uh, you know, but uh, I, I, can, I can be a thorn in your side and I can, I can come here and I can yell and I can scream and I can make this an issue and blah, blah, blah. And that's basically what he said. Now, you know what I'm about to say next. I watched that video and I thought to myself again, the dad openly admitted to not having a job, not working, And yet he's still sending his son to this school building. Why? Your son can read. He can write. He can teach himself. And if dad really wants to be a dad, then what he'll do is, and really wants to be a parent, is he'll investigate online homeschooling programs, and he'll decide what to do regarding the homeschooling of his son. Again, the father was openly admitting he has the time to teach his own child, and yet you can see the mental disconnect between what he's admitting and his perceived reality. It's, uh, you know, that, that divide is, is really hard for me to listen to. It always has been. It will continue to be going forward, but somebody needs to get to that dad with Becca.com or another program and say, hey, look, man, you can use Becca.com as the foundation, and you can revisit any anytime that you want, but you have other things that you can teach your son, and your son, of course, can teach himself. So how about you just do that? How about you get on that? Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what else to say. I just wish that these parents would Again, if they're, if they're going to show up at a board meeting and yell about the degenerate behavior and the, and the degenerate resources that exist within these environments, the next sentence out of their mouths before their time is up is they should say, "We're leaving. I'm pulling my son out. I'm going to homeschool them. Here's the program I'm going to use. I'm going to use a plethora of other resources." I do not want government teaching my children ever again, and I encourage other parents to do the exact same thing. And if you would like to meet with me after this meeting to discuss what I'm doing with my children, then please follow me out into the parking lot, and I will explain it to you. This can happen. I know that it happens. I know that people do this, but we're not seeing that often enough in these in these board meetings because, again... There was a time when these school board meetings weren't a thing. If you go back 10 years, okay, school board meetings and people telling the truth at school board meetings, and then those meetings going viral, that wasn't really a thing. There might be the occasional one. And at the very beginning of this show, when I started this, when I started this podcast was that I played one and even referenced one in one of my buildings that was remarkably important. And it was, a, it was a white female teacher leaving a Green Bay, Wisconsin area school district because of the crime that was taking place, the verbal abuse, uh, there were students masturbating in the middle of class, uh, th- there were you know cell phones being stolen, fight clubs going on in the school, and there was no accountability. The teacher showed up they made their complaints, they were bullied in the workplace because of what they had, had, had brought to the attention of the school board, and then they decided to quit because they were mentally and emotionally exhausted. That happened a long time ago, but now we're seeing just this repetitive nature of basically the same kinds of stuff. Perverse books this, perverse books that, what, you know, whatever else. There's way more to bring up in these meetings than than what people can possibly imagine, and I would encourage people to figure out what those are. I bring them up on the show consistently, but I would, I would encourage people to purposefully move the Overton window regarding the American education system in a homeschooling direction and use that platform as a method to wake people up to leave the public school system. That way, it's only left to the brainwashed, and I say brainwashed with a large umbrella because there's a lot of people that fit within that, within that category, but uh, that's, that's what the environment's going to be left for and who the environment is going to be left for. So all of that was taking place also, and I just wanted to mention all that. Okay, don't expect the degeneracy to go away, is, is my point. And even if we leave and like-minded people leave and, and healthy-minded people leave and moral-driven and, and value-driven people leave, it, it doesn't mean the degeneracy is going to go away, but it's going to go away regarding your exposure to it, which is a good thing. So there's that. Okay. I want to play this if I can. I don't know how the audio is going to work out on this, but Cicely sent this my way and I haven't had the opportunity to speak about Project Veritas for for very long at all since James O'Keefe left or or you know, whatever. Again, apparently the employees that work there say that he neither resigned nor was fired. That it was just kind of a everybody's going in their own directions kind of thing. I don't know, and I and I don't necessarily care. What I know is is that James O'Keefe built that dating back to the days when he infiltrated acorn when barack obama was uh, was running for president the first time and you know exposed serious voter fraud i'm not saying again that that they haven't done some some really good work they certainly have and they flew a little too close to the sun as he found out when it came to pfizer because the pfizer people clearly got to board members money was exchanged i'm sure that will probably all come out in the future and there's a level of corruption there that exists and of course apparently James doesn't want anything to do with it and good for him what i would have liked to have seen of course is all of the employees get up and leave at the exact same time with James i mean that was that was your jerry maguire moment for all of those employees they had the opportunity to all stand up and say i'm coming with you i'll go with you and then they all just get up and they leave and then you know that's it, and then they go start start their own thing again, if they'd have done that all at the same time, the donors probably all would have shifted their money right toward that group and and excluded the board immediately. Uh if you're doing it pro bono for a little while, not only regarding the legal work but the leg work and the, and the footwork, so be it, but you know the support the public support for it would have been so much higher. As long as the individuals involved can't be bought or sold, so with that said, I wish them the best. I want them to come back and continue to expose bigger and deeper things, higher security, make sure that you're protected and, and do what you need to do. But uh yeah, it's when you fly when you fly that close to Pfizer, you're flying a little too close to the sun and and they found that out that, that's That's corruption right there. That's the way it goes. So this particular audio that I have to play again was tossed to me by Sicily. This is from Project Veritas recently, and it has to do with New Mexico and the Albuquerque uh, public schools training regarding all of their gender support and gender bending nonsense. And, you know, I, I feel like I'm a girl when I'm a boy and, and all of that. I know it's repetitive. And I know that it's not new, but I want you to hear again how brainwashed these people are because it's more evidence of leaving the system and how you have got to leave the system because there are, this is all on a giant spectrum and there are varying degrees as to how this takes place and how this gets infiltrated. Again, the uh, Michigan Department of Education has go- gone all in on this as a department which means that's going to filter down now into different schools. As you would expect, lawyers are pushing back, parents are pushing back, but these environments are doing themselves in. And as you've heard me say, they don't know it. You see, the, Marx, the Marxist loves to destroy their own environment and make it miserable for everybody there because they are miserable themselves. They don't know how else to live. They have to be miserable. It's the only thing they know. And they don't care if they destroy their own environment and their own means of making a living at the exact same time. So give these people from uh, New Mexico a listen. Again, it's a lot of undercover audio and video. Hopefully it's a little easier to hear. I know when Project Veritas gets listened to on the radio, it's kind of tough to hear, but uh, we'll do our best here. So give this a listen.
1: Undercover audio of an LGBTQ training session has been sent to Project Veritas by an educator within the Albuquerque public school system in New Mexico. We sent Project Veritas journalists there to investigate further. We are funded
2: by a six-year CDC grant, and we do lots of different things. We provide support to all the gay-straight alliances in the district. We oversee safe zones throughout the entire district. Yes, elementary schools do have safe zones. We also help with gender support plans for our transgender students. This program, the Safe Zone Program, is something that my department runs. And what we do is we provide training to all the staff on how to support LGBTQ plus students. So we go in, we give explicit steps on how to support those students, what to do, how to intervene in negative language, how to do gender support plans, who to contact, all of that stuff. Safe zones are in all schools, elementary through high school. In middle schools, you generally see it at lunch. It's not always safe for them to go after school because generally there's permission slips that are involved and sometimes families won't sign it. Um, So there's generally a middle school teachers that will give up their lunch to hold up a safe space.
1: That was Angela Ruiz, a representative of student health and life skills of Albuquerque Public Schools, describing her department as well as their funding from the CDC. The guidelines set forth from the agency to, quote, reduce youth risk behaviors through comprehensive health education, and quote, focus on protocols for LGBTQ students, which teachers must adhere to, even if it means circumventing parental involvement. Gender support theory cover lots of different
2: things, and not all transgender students are interested in the gender support. Generally, what happens is the principal or their Title IX designee contacts the Title IX office and says, hey, I have this student, they would like the gender support plan. There's only three people required at that plan. The administrator, the student, and the Title IX director. So the gender support plan does not be parent and work. just director at the Yes, there's two types. But we don't have family input. So it's called a
1: conversation. When we looked at Albuquerque Public Schools' website, we found their policy page regarding gender identity and expression. While most of the things Angela says are by the book, the policy fails to mention these two types of gender support plans and gives no indication that parents will be kept out of the loop regarding their children's gender
2: identity. APS staff are expected to use names and pronouns of students in accordance with their gender identity they insert at school. So at the very moment Michelle comes to you and says my name is Michael, I use he pronouns, you are required to use that name and those pronouns. There are some things that you cannot disclose to anyone, even if you think it would be helpful. So if a student comes to you and they disclose that they're a member of the LGBTQ community, or they disclose to you, hey, I'm transgender. Or they come to you and say, yeah, my legal name is Michael, but I go by Michelle. Or they come to you and say, can you please use they, them pronouns? Any of these four pieces of information, you cannot tell anyone. What's really, really important is before you call home, find out how the student is addressed at home sadly we have students that are not able to be out at home they're not safe to be out at home so when we're calling home we want to make sure we're using what's in synergy unless the student tells you otherwise if you are intentionally using someone's wrong name after they have requested and told you you're intentionally using the wrong pronouns that can be a title IX violation so again once they say i want this name and these pronouns you are required to use those. Students can use the sex-segregated facility that corresponds with their gender identity they assert at school. So how they identify at school determines which restroom they choose to use. Students do not need a GSP to access a bathroom or locker room or to request specific names or pronouns for use by a staff. Let's say Michael wants to be called a but there isn't a gender support plan or a gender support conversation. And they now want to use the girls'
1: bathroom. Yes. The CDC pumps millions of dollars a year into programs like this one across the country. Our ongoing reporting on this secret curriculum that prioritizes political and social messaging over education affects students and teachers alike. If you are on the inside of an educational institution and wish to further expose this misuse of our children's education, please reach out to VeritasTips at ProtonMail.com.
0: Okay, the useful idiot. The useful idiot in that video... Her name was Angela Ruiz, resource teacher and the student health and life skills, apparently resource teacher, Albuquerque Public Schools. She's got the rainbow flag sweatshirt, she's got the rainbow lanyard, she's got all of it. There's a couple of things there I think that are a little hidden beyond all of the obvious things uh, that, that should be brought up. You may recall a long time ago, certainly if you're my age and and even younger than me, the concept of a homeroom and what homeroom was like within particular schools. What does homeroom mean? The concept of homeroom, and this is big picture, of course, it it was all purposefully designed to be a place where students within the school could all receive the same kinds of paperwork that the school wanted to distribute to students, to ultimately have their parents read and have their parents sign. And then it would be the homeroom school teacher that would bring, you know, collect all of the papers from the students after the first day of school, for example, and then, you know, give it to the administration and whatever else. Homeroom. There is a much larger and more nefarious meaning to the entire homeroom aspect. Of course, it's referred to as home. That right there should, should, uh, should be enough for people. But homeroom very quickly, and this was on purpose, transformed itself and was implemented into being a place where schools could use the homeroom time, whether that be just 30 minutes, 40 minutes, its own class period, whatever, to implement particular ideologies among students and then gauge the perceptions of students regarding what they thought about such activities. As you would expect, this started in elementary school first because they know that the younger the child is, the more likely the child isn't going to suspect what's really going on. They're not going to question uh, the morality of anything, the validity of anything, the the value, you know, any values associated with it or not associated with it. So they always started off at the elementary school level, and then what you will see is is the homeschooling mentality will stretch its way right through middle school and then it usually fizzles out at high school because high school students have no tolerance for it. They're they're not likely to deal with it, and most people know that, but they think to themselves that's okay, and by they I mean the powers that be who implement all of this stuff, the useful idiots, and then of course the Kazarian mafia above them, the Marxists above them. They implement it on purpose when they're young because they know that by the time they reach high school, They've already got them engaging in particular habits that they want to engage them in. Technology use, degeneracy, pornography, sex, drugs, all of it. And, and again, they start doing this piece by piece within homerooms. Now, why do they do it in homerooms instead of other ge- uh, general classrooms? This is also on purpose. It's because it lets the general classroom teacher off the hook by and large. And it puts the onus and all of the responsibility on the administration. So if a parent complains about something, they'll say, well, this is a district, the, the building administrator will say, this is a district driven policy from the district office regarding things that they want us to do in our homerooms. And the building administrator will quite literally say, there's nothing we can do about it. This is district policy that of course is not true any any building administrator can say no to the district and say this is degenerate we're not doing this regardless of what particular program is being implemented all of that is a giant number 1 as to why that takes place within homerooms number 2 and this is this is a little more specific the timing of of homerooms is critical also and the timing of day in which the homeroom gathers and takes place to implement said uh I'll call them experiments on children okay social experiments whether everybody has to read the same book or again everybody has to affirm their gender or whatever the hell w- whatever it is whatever social experiment or psychological experiment that's being done on children within homeroom takes place they're always measuring what time of day are children going to be more receptive to said influence so homerooms used to be at the beginning of the day it would be the first place you would go before you would go to your first period class this was the way that it was back when i was a uh, back when i was a middle school student back in the 90s so that should tell you how far back this stretches and then over the course of again years and now decades those homerooms will consistently be measured for again the perceptions of, of students and even teachers regarding the particular kinds of programs that are being implemented on them and the ideologies and they will sometimes move the homeroom to the middle of the day and then sometimes they'll move the homeroom toward the end of the day they're trying to f- they're always trying to figure out what time of day the children will be more receptive to these degenerate ideologies. Same thing with the teachers. Remember, I've spoken about Edward Thorndike being the guy who experimented on farm animals to get them to do particular things for the purpose of educational psychology on school children, teachers, and administrators. If he can get a chicken to do a particular thing and then a group of chickens to do a particular thing, well, then he can get a group of children and adults to do said thing that's what homeroom is really all about it's about not just having all the permission slips signed and turned back in about what your kid can and cannot do throughout the course of the school year it's about implementing videos books ideologies perversions etc cetera, etc cetera. it's about that also with all of that said what they openly admitted in the albuquerque public school system is that they're using lunchtime as the time to do this also. Because if it's during lunchtime, they're likely there are less likely to be complaints. So they think. They think that parents aren't going to call the school and say, my child heard this during lunchtime from a school employee or a school administrator over a microphone, or they were playing something on a big projection screen while they were eating their chicken McNuggets and you know, tater tots and whatever the hell, you know, what the hell is going on? Again, it's the it, it'll be the exact same excuse. The same excuse will be used where the administration will say in the building, this is a district policy. Although now, in this particular example, they'll say, this is a CDC grant. We applied to to receive money from this CDC grant. And now we are a part of a six-year trial to do this for six years. And we have to do this now for six years because it's a contract and blah, blah, blah. Everything that I just explained is what Chris Rufo. Cannot explain. Everything that I explained is what Carlin Borschenko cannot explain, because you have to be in the business to be able to break it down the way that I just broke it down. It's way more nefarious than just a school applies for a CDC grant that's degenerate to implement a degenerate thing within their school. It's way more specific, as you heard me just say, as to why that takes place. There are way more um Elements at play, I'll say. There are way way more angles that need to be examined as to where, how, when, why these particular things take place throughout the course of a day. And then, of course, who is it that they're targeting? And they're always targeting the youngest children, because if you can groom them at a young age, you can groom them throughout middle school, which means by the time they reach high school age and puberty has already set in, They're already groomed. The damage is done. That's it. So that's their strategy going forward. That is the strategy. They even, again, use the word manipulation that a good Marxist would use when they say, when when one of the teachers asked, well, if we don't have any family permission and we have no family input regarding any of this, what do we do? And the Angela Ruiz person said, Well, we call that a conversation then. We're still allowed to have a conversation with the child, even if the parent doesn't know what's going on, or doesn't approve, or doesn't willfully sign up for this, that, or the other. That's why we don't need permission slips because we're going to sneak this in during lunchtime, which is probably like a homeroom environment. So there you go. That's the. That's the breakdown of that that I can do. I'm not sure what else I can do to break it down. That's going to continue. That's going to ramp up. That's going to get worse. It's not a new thing, but um, yeah. They're preying on the fact that they know that a child is not going to know everything that's going on and everything that's being tossed their way, let alone ask questions, let alone go home and tell their parents about every single little thing that they may or may not have experienced throughout the course of a day. So, yeah. It's, uh, it's perverse, it's sexual grooming, and these are predators, and they should be uh, tossed out of the back of a C230. That's my two cents. Okay, here's again a breakdown from Michigan. This is an example of what Michigan is doing to fight back again against their degenerate curriculum that's coming again from the State Department of Education. And we know this because I've brought it up here on the show, ladies and gentlemen. Allegedly, allegedly, every State Department of Education is engaging in child trafficking. People need to wrap their heads around that. They work with CPS, of course, but they also work with these gender-bending, brainwashing clubs and groups and organizations. The simple fact that they invite them in to talk with school boards at the local level should tell you all you need to know about how these organizations reach out to state departments of education to perverse children. That is all tied together in child trafficking. The actual movement of a child from point A to point B without parental consent for the purpose, again, of either drugging them or engaging in a sexual act, all of these smaller, I'll call them smaller school-based initiatives and programs that they put forth, it's all leading to that. That's, that's ultimately the purpose. It's all leading in that general direction, which is why all of these people should be arrested or put down like the dogs they are. So this is an anonymous post, although it's a direct uh, summary from a, uh, an article from 100%fedup.com. And it ha- again, it has to do directly with Michigan. So let me get into this. It says the following, and it says this is from the article uh, Michigan parents are choosing to opt out of rogue sex education for their children. It says the battle lines have been drawn. Michigan parents are concerned about the hypersexualization of their children against the state controlled education bureaucracy. It says the Great Schools Initiative, GSI. Is leading the charge with what is known as opt-out for from rogue sex education in schools. GST is a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that was created to restore parental control over what their children are being taught in schools, among other goals. Now, I'm gonna digress here for just a second. They'll never get control of it. It won't matter they will never ever parents will never get control of the environment well we're taking our schools back no you're not no you're not you can't there isn't there uh, you you have to remove every cockroach that exists within the environment sorry I'm starting to lose my voice here you have to you have to remove them all you're talking about removing teachers administrators the posters on the walls the books in the libraries, the books on the shelves in the classrooms. You'll never gain full control of a school environment. It's just the illusion of taking back control. That's all. You only have full control when government is completely removed from your life and your child's life. That's why I consistently say self-governance is the, you know, the only way forward. Because it is. You can't have it any other way here. Um, let's see. And then says, what is rogue sex education? It says, first of all, Michigan statutory law. Let me blow this up here. My eyes are bugging me. Uh, Michigan, here we go. Michigan statutory law is very clear that sex education is to be confined to approved sex ed classes with an approved curriculum by a trained sex ed educator. I could spend all day on that too. Uh, Yeah. I brought it up in previous episodes, but I got to keep moving here. It says the, uh, the opinion by then Attorney General Frank Kelly in 1981 said that parents have a right to review the contents of any course in which family planning or reproductive health are discussed before they exercise their right to have their child excused from the class. School authorities may not void the effect of this law by including any sex education instruction in a required class. This is express, expressly prohibited by law. 1, uh, 1976 PA 451, section 1507-3. Furthermore, Michigan law does not mandate that sex education courses even have to be taught or required for graduation. It says, rogue sex education is when teachers in classes other than the approved sex education class hold discussions or teach regarding sensual topics, promote the use of pronouns inconsistent with biology, display and distribute LGBTQ flags, books, and materials, furnish clothing or cross-dressing, or discuss gender ideology. It involves informal discussion and chats about sexuality on the part of teachers who are not certified to teach sex ed in which an outs- in, in which and which rather is outside the confines and structures of an approved sex ed class in other words required classes such as social studies literature and math classes should not be in the business of infusing gender or sexual orientation material into their curriculum. It is against the law. I'm going to finish this before I mention something that was just said there that is remarkably important, and you've heard me bring it up in the past, but I'll get to it in a second. It says, Nathan Paul, One of the co-founders of GSI responded to the notion that gay pride and transgender flags on display in teachers' classrooms are acceptable to help stimulate discussion and create safe and inclusive spaces, quote-unquote, with the following, quote, Nobody can display a Playboy flag in the classroom and claim it is a benign symbol and conversation starter. Flags are a tool that represents something and that begs questions. Quote unquote." Michigan law also mandates the formation of sex education advisory boards, or SEAB, uh, if a school district desires to create or change a sex ed program. These boards are to include pupils, parents, educators, local clergy, and community health professionals. Parents need to check to see if their local school districts have a SEAB and if it is doing what the law requires. And then it wraps up and it says the following here. Hang on, let me blow this up. Okay. GSI collaborated with the Thomas More Society to create an opt-out form. The Thomas More Society is a national nonprofit public interest law firm that exists to provide pro bono legal services to individuals or groups fighting to restore respect in law for life, family, religious liberty, and election integrity. The Great Schools Initiative notes on its website, quote, It is a violation of privacy and a safety issue when teachers, counselors, or administrators have conversations or solicit private information from children through polls, quizzes, and other communications about human sexuality. State law requires that these practices are contained for sex ed classes only. This would include promotion of any and all sexual ideologies, students' private information is protected by both state and federal FERPA, Family Education Rights and Pri- Privacy Act. And it says these laws keep all students safe. No student should be outed in school. Nowhere in the state law does it require that a parent must use a school's form. In fact, the law clearly states that a school must accept a parent's written opt out. There's a growing number of parents and school districts across Michigan who are now utilizing the GSI opt-out form, which can be accessed or accessed rather on the GSI website. Okay. First of all, good Lord, the thing I was going to mention earlier, this is where the concept of cross-curriculum comes into play. Cross-curriculum was one of those things that showed up a long time ago. Where math teachers need to teach science also and integrate science lessons into their math lessons. Science teachers in a science classroom need to implement math and math lessons within the science curriculum, and so on, and so on, and so on. Now it's reached the point where it's where other school teachers need to implement these degenerate programs, and if they don't, don't worry, we're going to sneak them in anywhere we can because that's what we want to do. Cross-curriculum from the word go was was a giant red flag. It was danger, Will Robinson, danger, without a doubt. I knew it when I taught school. I hated it. I didn't do it. I remember using the textbooks even as a defense, and I would say, are we supposed to teach out of this? And I would hold up the textbook, and they'd go, well, yeah, and I'd say, it's already in here. The cross curriculum stuff is already in here. We're already doing it. We don't have to do other stuff on top of it in order to do the degenerate crap that you already want us to do. It's already in the book. And then I would throw the book away and I would just use you know use it as an outline and then bring my own material in to back up some of the outline of what was already in the book. But not when it came to the cross curriculum stuff and certainly not when it came to all of this degenerate nonsense. Um, again, this is just more proof, ladies and gentlemen, that they're not going to quit on any of this. They are full steam ahead. It's fifth gear, full gay, pedal to the floor. They're not going to stop. And the simple fact that schools are doing this and offering an opt-out form and the fact that parents are utilizing opt-out forms, even their own, based on state law that they don't have to use the school's opt-out forms or another group's opt-out forms. They can just write a letter saying, I don't want my kid to do this. And schools will, again, fight them on it and say, well, yes, you do. And they'll say, no, state law says I don't. You've even heard Kim Carter on this show bring that up before regarding her own children and wanting them to opt, ha- have her children opted out from, from these perverse programs and even sex education and a thousand other things. The school district will always fight back and say, Well, we can't make all those accommodations for all these children who want to opt out. Again, if the school is implementing it and they don't want your children to opt out, isn't that the dead giveaway that the, that, that the school itself shouldn't have the program to begin with? Because the people participating in the school, i.e., the parents and the students, are, are wanting to opt out and endless people are opting out which should be the indication that it shouldn't exist in the first place not as far as these schools are concerned that's not how they view it that's how a common sense person would view it but not not them the other approach of course is you need to leave the environment you need to leave the schools that are pushing this because they're telling you it's perverse we we want to do this If it was our choice, the school would say, we want to do this in all our classes, not just homeroom, not just sneak it in during lunchtime, or even in a sex ed class. We want everybody to do this all of the time as much as humanly possible. That's their plan. That's their strategy going forward, always has been, always will be. If anybody thinks that's going to get better, it won't. That's going to get worse. And like I said, There's the illusion of taking back a school. There's the illusion of taking over a school board and getting rid of a superintendent. But if you can't get rid of the building administrators, the perverse school teachers, and by the way, this brings in, of course, the entire feeding tank that is feeding these environments, good luck finding a non-perverse, non-ideological, morally sound young individual who wants to be a school teacher these days, that, that uh, whatever you want to call it, that, uh, that tank or that well where they're pulling that scum from is filled with scum. You're not going to find a pearl in the middle of that scum. And it's becoming more filled with scum in these teacher education programs. It's not getting better with time. The last three years blew it all apart. And this, too, is another example of why these environments are doing this and how these environments are even fighting government and fighting government officials. This, of all places, comes from Reuters, and it's titled Florida Bill would ban gender studies majors diversity programs at universities. Great. Great. That should happen. Now, this is being written by Reuters, which, again, they've gone after me personally. They've gone after lots of people who are morally sound human beings who try to warn people about a variety of issues. But th- uh, again, they're they're writing this as, as you would expect, as being discriminatory. Well, you're discriminating against people and the people who uh, you know, are are transgender and and this, that, and the other. If the entire system requires law to eliminate the degenerate programs that exist within these degenerate environments, you need not be in these degenerate environments. If the legal fight and one of the civil wars that's going to take place is between legislators and universities and public schools, let them battle it out. Just don't put yourself on the battlefield while the battle is taking place because you're subjecting yourself and your children to that battle. You can, as you've heard me say in numerous episodes, including the last one, you can sit up on a hill and watch that battle take place. And I recommend you do that. That homeschooling hill that sits up there nice and peaceful and you're watching the battle take place. You're educating your children about the battle that's taking place but you're not directly subjecting them to it, to where they're being victimized by it. That's, that's the whole, uh, you know, that's the whole issue. So apparently again, DeSantis said in Florida, quote, we will build off our higher education reforms by aligning core curriculum to the values of Liberty and the Western tradition. Good for him. He's not going to be the president. Uh, he's got nothing but bad people surrounding himself with him like Jeb Bush and and uh, you know all these other nitwits uh Paul Ryan the list is endless but you know g- good for them if it if it sticks great the question i have is a larger one which is why would you send your child to a university that's doing this number 1 let alone send your child to a university to engage in one of these programs That's an even bigger problem. Uh, Yeah, so there you go. The fight never stops regarding all the sex stuff because that's all they know. That's all these perverse degenerates know is sex. And they bring their own perversions from home into into their working environment. They do whatever they can to normalize it because they don't know what they're really there to do. They really don't know why they're there And they don't know the subject for which they're really there to teach. So they have to teach what comes familiar to them. And unfortunately, what what comes familiar to a degenerate are their own degenerate behaviors and their perversions. And that's the way that it's always been. And that's not going to go away. Uh, Let's see. Speaking of that, this happened too. And this was cool. (laughs) This This is a step in the right direction. It's not, uh, it's not, it's not the dimensions deep I would like this to go, but it happened nonetheless. This is from valleynews.com, MVCS, girls basketball in Vermont, forfeits playoff game rather than compete against team with transgender player. I'm going to read a little bit from this written by Benjamin Rosenberg the Valley News staff writer I wonder how he leans in this particular subject but it says the Mid Vermont Christian School Christian School ladies and gentlemen girls basketball team withdrew from the Vermont Division 4 state tournament because of a refusal to play against an opponent with a transgender student athlete question Does the school that has the transgender or the male playing with the girls, is that also a Christian school? Just asking. Wouldn't surprise me if it was at this point. It says the number 12 seed Eagles were scheduled to play a first round game at number five seed Long Trail uh, on Tuesday night but their withdrawal forfeited the game to the Mountain Lions. Quote, we believe playing against an opponent with a biological male jeopardizes the fairness of the game and the safety of our players. MVCS head of school Vicky Fogg wrote in an email to the Valley News on Wednesday evening allowing biological males to participate by saying, quote, allowing biological males to participate in women's sports sets a bad precedent for the future of women's sports in general. Well then, why did Baylor University let Brittany Griner, or Brad, I believe his real name was, play, uh, play college basketball? Why was that allowed? Yeah, I mean, come on people. It says uh, Fogg declined to request for an interview. Lauren Thomas, the assistant executive director for the Vermont Principals Association, said MVCS sent her a letter saying that they would not be entering the tournament but did not elaborate on its decision. Long Trail Athletic Director John Schendbull, if I'm saying that right, don't care, did not respond to requests for comment. I bet he didn't. The Mountain Lions played their full 20-game regular season without any issues finishing 14-6 with 11 wins in their last 12 games, when they probably signed on the dude. The Eagles' forfeit sent Long Trail to the quarterfinals Friday against number 4 seed Arlington. Okay, blah, blah, blah. Vermont Law, it says, allows transgender female students to play on girls' sports teams, along with uh, sorry, it says, among the goals of the B- VPA's Activities Standards Committee is to provide, quote-unquote, proactive talk tracks for transgender athletes. And I'm done. Clearly, uh, this isn't, of course, getting better. The dimension I would have liked to have seen, although I applaud the girls for forfeiting because they didn't want to play against the dude. Well done, by the way. Bravo. I would have liked to have seen the girls on the team who are playing with the boy to quit the team. That's the thing that has to happen. That's the move that always has to make. You've heard me bring it up here a thousand times. That's the dimension that has to take place. Stop participating around the tranny, and then you won't have a team anymore. What will that cause? It will cause a ripple effect of chaos through the coaching staff of the team, if everybody stops playing except for the tranny, the coaching staff will lose their minds. The parents of the tranny will lose their minds. The parents who support the tranny will lose their minds. Uh, All the other organizations that exist that support the tranny will lose their minds. The athletic director will lose their minds. The administration of the building will lose their minds, and so on, and so on, and so on. It's a beautiful. It's a beautiful chaotic ripple effect that would happen. But that's the thing that has to happen. Yes, they should all forfeit and not play against the dude. If that means that immediately this school wins the tournament because everybody's forfeited who comes in front of them, so be it, who cares? I've had trophies in my life. I don't own them anymore. They're all in a in a trash can someplace or a landfill somewhere basically. I mean, they're in a landfill. Uh, it it doesn't matter. It's it's the perversion of of bread and circus, which is basically like perversion squared. I mean, you're talking about multiple dimensions deep of perversing something that's already perverse for the purpose of distraction. Now it's just a distraction on top of a distraction on top of a distraction. How deeper can it possibly get, and how more, more absurd can it get? Oh, trust me, it can get more absurd. And I'm certain it will in the future, because at this point, again, why not? Why not? Um, let me mention this, too, since we're harping on the mental health of everything. This is an interesting thing I've brought up in the past, too, but it's worth revisiting, and this is a recent substack that John uh, Hyatt, or Hayd, Haid, Haid, I don't know how you say his name, After Babel is the title of his substack. But this article is titled Social Media is a Major Cause of the Mental Illness Epidemic in Teen Girls. Here's the evidence. And then subtitled Journalists Should Stop Saying That the Evidence Is Just cor- uh, Correlational. Well, yeah, here's the deal. The survey that he references, and I'm going to read this first paragraph, but the survey that he references is a survey that the CDC submits to schools to have their health education teachers, by and large, um, distribute to their students. And I had distributed this survey to my students back when I was a school teacher. It was a long time ago, but um, this will tell you how far back this goes, and it goes back further than that. And as you would expect with any CDC survey, they are deliberate, manipulative, and they are designed to elicit particular answers based on not only the questions that are asked, but the order in which the questions are asked. And like you read earlier regarding the Michigan issue, you don't have to ever have your child take one of these surveys, and I recommend that if you still attend a public school or a private school or a charter school that you never have your child fill out these surveys. Under no circumstance should any child be taking any survey ever in a school environment. It shouldn't happen. But this says, quote, A big story last week was the partial release of the CDC's biannual Youth Risk Behavior Survey, which shows that most teen girls, 57%, now say that they experience persistent sadness or hopelessness, up from 36% in 2021. And that 30% of teen girls now say that they have seriously considered suicide, up from 19% in 2021. Boys are doing badly too but their rates of depression and anxiety are not as high as their increases since 2021 I'm sorry since 2011 are smaller as i showed in my february 16th substack post the big picture or the big surprise rather in the cdc data is that is that covid didn't have much effect on the overall trends which just kept marching on as they have since around 2012 Teens were already socially distanced by 2019, which might explain why COVID restrictions added little to their rates of mental illness on average. It says, of course, many individuals suffered greatly. The reason that they're claiming that the CDC would claim that COVID didn't have much of an impact is because the CDC was behind it. That's like asking, does a criminal organization have an impact on crime? Of course they do. They're directly involved. Not to mention how many COVID questions are asked on those surveys. And again, the reason that I mentioned that the survey is purposely, purposely, um, it purposely exists to elicit particular answers that they want, which again, as you would expect, lead toward the mental and emotional breakdown of youth on purpose is because they 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 purposely use some of those questions to gauge not fact but the perception of the child they will ask the child's opinion about things even if the opinion isn't real because again opinions aren't facts and one's perception is not necessarily reality but they then take all of those perceptions and those opinions And they just assume that it is reality. Again, that's different from qualitative reasoning and analysis. Qualitative and reasoning and analysis is way deeper than what the youth risk behavior survey would ever engage in. Because you're trying to arrive at a a firm fact and a conclusion with qualitative reasoning and analysis, not with a survey you give students in a already mentally ill environment which, as you would expect, that never gets brought up either. Is your environment healthy? Yes or no. Do you think, although they do ask those questions, do you think your school is safe? Yes or no. See, they, they'll they start off with something like that, and then they'll get the child in the frame of mind of believing that everything is unsafe all of the time, including what goes on in their own head. And then they've got them. So it's a manipulative tactic. It's a brainwashing survey. And unfortunately, it's used to bring in more programs, more money and more degeneracy into these environments under the guise of trying to improve mental and emotional health when in fact that's not the purpose. The purpose is to is to create more mental health services within schools. I'm using finger quotes because they're not really doing anything to help the problem, to help these issues that they themselves are creating, I might add, but they're creating them themselves all of the time. And like I've said before, and you've heard me say, these environments are now just for the mentally ill. That's really all they are. So yeah, that happened the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. I've brought that up previously in, in numerous episodes from years past. It's one of those one of those horrible surveys that just keeps on giving. Uh, okay. God, I got a lot to get to still. This is a huge episode. My apologies, but there's tons to get to. Let me jump to this, which, by the way, I want to mention this too. I probably should have said it at the beginning. Dr. Robin McCutcheon is going to be joining me for Friday. Uh, I haven't talked with her yet, but I'm going to, and when we do, uh, we're going to talk about a variety of different things as we typically do, so make sure and stay tuned for that also. Certainly, we're going to talk about what's going on at Marshall and what's going on regarding the jabs because, uh, yeah, I did did my little recon event that I like to do from time to time where I just drive around town and uh, around high noon, and I count the students. And ladies and gentlemen, on Miami University's campus in Oxford, Ohio, at high noon on a Monday, I counted approximately 150 students walking around. It's an absolute ghost town. I think I saw tumbleweeds blowing past also. Um, I, I'm serious. It is, it is bizarre. It's bizarre. It's, we're real close to it looking like I am legend around here. It's not that bad. Of course, there aren't weeds growing up through the buildings, but you get what I'm saying. There's no hiding it. The the eyeball test does not lie, and students are not attending these environments for all of the reasons that have been brought up here. And it's not going to get better. So, let's see. Um let me bring this up now. Here's the follow-up. Here's the email follow-up that I had with one of the assistant city managers. In fact, that's not his title. His title is Economic Development Specialist. And uh, here was his response to me regarding 5G that I initially sent him, along with a link to all of those children's health defense articles regarding 5G, which included lawsuits as to why they're unhealthy and hurting people and could easily be turned up to hurt more people. He also carbon-copied Uh, the city manager and assistant city manager. And here's what he said. He said, Hello, Dr. Sean Brooks. Thank you for sharing your concerns and the additional information you provided. However, this issue is well outside my purview. The The EPA sets the standards for cell towers and the FCC manages their locations. The city currently has no concerns over our local cell tower operations. Best, Seth Kroppenbaker. Okay. I replied, as you might expect. And here was my reply. Again, I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, these people do not want, whether it's in their purview or not, it certainly is in in, in his purview because this is an economic issue also you can't have an economy with sick and dead people. And if these people don't learn about what's going on in the world and how they're harming their own citizens of their own town or city because of their own inability to learn, then they're unfit for the job. Period. They're unfit for the job. And no, we don't have to wait for an election to get rid of these people. These people should be Fired. These people should be removed. There should be legal force that is used to get rid of them. This is a huge issue. But again, someone like Seth Croppenbaker in the position he holds, it's the city council who hires him, apparently. Which means if he goes against what the city wants, what happens to Seth's job? Well, he's out of a job then. So he has to play ball with the ideologies of the city or else he's out of a job. And the city, as you've heard me say, are all leftists. Most of them are gay. They're degenerates. This is the way that this is. Their perverse private behaviors become their perverse ideologies in their workforce and in their workplace. And then they don't want to learn the truth about anything. And then they're stuck. So they think. And then they just dig in and they dig their own foxhole in their own ideology, and they stay put. These people will never learn. They just won't. It will take them dropping dead from somebody kicking up the 5G to 11 while they're all jabbed, and then it's game over for them. So here was my response. I said, quote, thank you for replying. This is an unsatisfactory answer. Blindly trusting the EPA and the FCC are huge mistakes. The city of Oxford and all of its employees have a responsibility to educate themselves about these towns and the negative health impacts that come with their operation and location. The city of Oxford leases the larger towers on city land. These leased contracts can be removed immediately, but only if the city and those responsible for allowing them educate themselves about what their true intent is. The simple fact that the FDA cannot prove that there are no positive health effects from these towers, as they themselves have admitted in U.S. federal court, and that lawsuits exist as a result, which have led to the removal of such towers within towns and cities all across America and foreign countries, it's incumbent on the city to learn about this subject and act quickly and accordingly with legal action against anyone who imposes these EMF, electromagnetic frequency radioactive signals, on the population of a town or city. According to you, given that the city is not interested in educating themselves about their true intent and the negative health consequences that come with these 5G towers, EMF radiation, and the proven negative health impacts they have on those who receive the bioweapon COVID-19 vaccines, I put in quotes, which contain tungsten and self-assembling metal nanoparticles, it's official that the city of Oxford is putting their citizens' lives at risk. Good luck, unquote. And there you go. There really wasn't anything else that uh, that I could add there. I just wanted to hit him over the head with the fact that he's in deep trouble on a personal level on a, on a individual health level. And so is everybody else. This again, this won't get better with time. I don't know. I don't know. Well, it's evident these people aren't thinking, but this is, this is a major local issue for anybody. I don't, you know, it, it doesn't matter where you live. These towers are going up everywhere. These 5G towers again, they can be those, those huge things out in the middle of a field, or they can be the small little trash cans right outside of a, of a business, just cooking everybody who works inside that small business. It's awful. Um, here's an article that comes from the Daily Cloud. It's it's just titled this, Report 56, Autopsies Reveal Medical Atrocities of Genetic Therapies Being Used Against a Respiratory Virus. Yikes. And it's, lo- it's very long, as you would expect. Um, remarkably remarkably awful. Here, here are Dr. Burkhart's group conclusions. Number there are four of them. Number one, Histiopathological analysis shows clear evidence of vaccine-induced autoimmune-like pathology in multiple organs. That's AIDS in most in most of your organs or multiple organs. Number two, that myriad adverse events deriving from such auto attack processes must be expected to vary Frequently occur in all individuals, particularly following booster injections. I'm going to repeat that. Number two says that myriad adverse events deriving from such auto attack processes must be expected to very frequently occur in all individuals, particularly following booster injections. It's an open admission that one shot will kill you, two will kill you. Three is killing you, and anything after that, you'd better believe it. Number three, beyond any doubt, injection of gene-based COVID nineteen vaccines place lives under threat of illness and death. I mean, hello, (laughs) how much more proof do you need? You send something like this to the city; they're going to go, whatever. That's a conspiracy theory. No. It's a conspiracy, and conspiracy is a crime. Number four, and finally, it says we note that both mRNA and vector-based vaccines are represented among these cases, as are all four major manufacturers, unquote. Absolutely huge. Again, it's not, uh, you know, I'll I'll say this. I I I'll tell you what. I want to play this audio first and then I want to get into a, a brief talk about the WHO treaty and how of course you know all this connects. You know, you're smart people. Um again, thank you for listening to the show and connecting these dots on your own. You you know exactly what's going on. It's the people that that can't connect all of these dots that are that are never going to figure it out or they're going to figure it out maybe, but it'll be too late by then. I want to play this audio of Todd Callender talking. I stuck this up on a war video. I put it up on Gab. Um, this was making the rounds not that long ago, but I don't know the exact date of this particular interview, but you're going to hear Todd, specific, who's a lawyer, but you're going to hear him specifically bring up the connections between the 5G, the shots, the fact that the people who took the shots are no longer a legal human, uh, I forget the term he uses. You'll hear him say it hom- homo genesis something along those lines. And that even that was written into Supreme Court law that gene manipulation makes a person not a legal person anymore. And that's what these are. These are gene manipulating shots. So the people who took the shots, of course, are not human, legally speaking. On top of that, he brings up the connections between, uh, like I said, the 5G, but how all of that, the shots in the 5G being ramped up to 11 is going to be the excuse for Marburg virus. There is no virus. There is no Marburg virus. None of that exists, but they're going to use the Marburg story for when the jabs start dying because of the increased electromagnetic frequency that starts to occur. And that of course started in Wuhan regarding cranking up the 5G up to 11, and we saw what happened. You heard Mark Steele bring it up. I've brought it up. It's been written about at length. We've seen the videos. It was a real thing. It happened. Uh, but here's Todd Calendar describing that in three, two, one.
3: Beauty business for a long time, practiced international law around the world, including living and working in two communist countries and undoing the Soviet model economy. Um, I understand who the players are in this genocide. I've done business with uh, all of them, including the WHO. Um, and when the Secretary of Defense illegally mandated the shots, he doesn't have the power to do that, I realized what this was all about. And I filed suit against them uh, and raised a lot of issues, including the fact that everybody that's getting these shots are, are number one, ex- exploratory, laboratory animals. Right, They're just test beds. And then, number two, if you got the shots, the odds are, according to U.S. law, that you are owned by the patent holders. You're a new species called Genesis and you are owned. That's the nature of what our case says today. One of the advantages of suing the DOD um, with this many mini- service members that are upset about the mandates is we've ended up with about 500,000 whistleblowers who have provided us a whole lot of really good information. So everything you said is well supported in documents that we have, um, testimony that we have, and expert uh, witnesses. So in recent times, I had sent you a number of documents that that actually support what you said. And our biggest concern, the reason Doc uh, Chambers and I are here today is uh, we work as a team to understand both the science and the legal ramifications. And what I wanted to impart to you is under 42 CFR, Part 70 and 71, that's the Enabling Statute for Health and Human Services to assume power in the, upon the declaration of a public health emergency. They've already done that, as you indicated, uh, with the COVID crisis. That is uh, has resulted in the suspension of our Constitution. It's already happened. The next one is coming in that statute. You will see that Marburg is already uh, identified. You will note that the PREP Act has a Marburg provision that allows for uh, additional spending when invoked. The Health and Human Services has already invoked the Marburg provision. meaning they've already parted ways with money and spent it under the HHS enabling statute to build quarantine camps, amongst other things. Throughout the United States, we inter- we interrupted two, one of which was in Cochise County, Arizona, where they were going to build a $1.9 million facility that houses the, the now merged four branches under HHS. The judiciary, law enforcement, corrections, and public health are now all one in the same, and they're all housed in the same facility. So all of these quarantine centers are there the we understand that there could have been a marburg release that dr chambers will get into we think that one has already happened we know that marburg is not particularly contagious but it has an extraordinarily high rate um, of fatality and we know the mechanism by which this will be released and that is inside of these shots that people already received inside the lipid nanoparticles the hydrogel there exists pathogens inside of the particles that have not yet opened. Those pathogens are chimeric. They include E. coli Marburg, Ebola staphylococcus, and Brewer's yeast, amongst others. We know that upon the broadcast from the 5G system that is now employed across the United States, the world for that matter, um, when they broadcast an 18 gigahertz signal uh, for one minute, Three different times as a pulse, it will cause those lipid nanoparticles to swell and release these pathogenic contents, thereby causing a Marburg epidemic that they've already spent the money on. They've already it's already done. Right, the Marburg epidemic, for purposes of law, has happened, and now we just need the actual uh, disaster to happen. And and there's actually worse parts to it than that, including the 1p36 gene deletion that effectively will turn those poor people into zombies. As odd as that sounds, our government's preparing for that. But the FEMA have already put out zombie commercials
2: uh,
3: and yep. conops on that. Correct. That's correct. If you look at Con Plan eight 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 eight, Stratcom put that out in two thousand and eleven. On page two, they say, "Oh, this is just for examples, just for demonstration. You know, don't don't worry about it." So we don't offend other countries. The problem with that. As you look through that con plan, it's all about five different types of zombies. There isn't anything in there about opposition forces. There isn't anything about winning political battles or counterinsurgencies. It is only about a zombie apocalypse, defending it. And you will see that every NIMS-compliant, practically, agency, or or whether that's state, uh, local, or federal, has already had their zombie apocalypse preparedness training. They've already done their practice. The CDC has had a zombie apocalypse preparedness website up for the last five years. Now they've reduced it to a PDF cartoon. Even in the Amazon Web Services contract, the force majeure clause, I believe it's Article 41, states that we're not liable for damages in case there's a zombie apocalypse. This is coming, folks. And and the serious adverse event report, Pfizer put out post-marketing. They they had put out as part of a FOIA. The number one serious adverse event was the 1P36 gene deletion. You look up the symptomology for that, It is the elimination of the frontal cortex and a propensity to bite. What's very odd about this is this was the symptom post-vaccination. That disease is a congenital disease. It means you're born with it. So how is it then possible that this is the number one serious adverse event from the Pfizer shots? It's here, folks. And then you got Dr. Chambers here to tell you I'm not just a raving lunatic.
0: Good times, huh? Good times. Wonderful city managers and economic development managers and other people who work for local cities know anything about this. They don't have a flippin clue, not a clue. And when he says zombies, he's not talking about all the nonsense you see on TV, video games and movies. That's not what he's talking about. What he's talking about is people dropping over dead while they're walking down the street. Now aren't we already seeing that? Of course we are that already exists. That's already happening. He's talking about the implementation and the kicking up of 5G at a very specific time and for a specific, uh, very specific wavelength to impact the already jabbed. And then the adverse effects that come with that. Again, bleeding from the mouth, bleeding from the ears, bleeding from the nose, which by the way, Stu Peters had a woman on his show the other day who was describing those very symptoms regarding her own father. Her father took four shots, started to bleed from the mouth, the nose, the ears, and then fell and bleed and had bleeding gums also, basically in order, dying from the inside out, and then over the course of time, I should say, and then fell over out of a chair in a, from a seated position and uh and hit his head probably because again he had already died before he even hit the floor but then allegedly died of a subdural hematoma and there you go so it's happening already um just w- when a person hears the word zombie that's that's what would throw off an unknowing person they would say well, well that's definitely a quote unquote conspiracy theory no it is a conspiracy the physical symptoms, signs and symptoms, uh, I'll say are are of course evident with what's going on among the jabbed. That's not, that's not unusual. It's already happening. It's just going to be a matter of the 5G kicking into full gear and the impact that that's going to have on the already jabbed. And he just told you what it was, which brings into account uh, this, which is the WHO treaty that is being apparently ratified, the pandemic treaty, which is being ratified this week at the WHO headquarters. Um, Biden has already said he's going to sign it. Again, I have to reiterate this because it's remarkably important. For the people out there, the legal analysts and, and whomever, They can say as the day is long, all they want, that it's unconstitutional, which of course it is, but that this supersedes the Constitution, which they would say nothing supersedes the Constitution. And that they can't do this, and they're not going to do this, and we just don't have to comply and whatever else. I would say this, look what happened in 2020. Look how many people bought it. Look how many people went along with it. Law enforcement went along with it. City councils went along with it. Schools, universities, businesses, where you buy your food went along with it. They all went along with it. Hospitals, doctors, nurses, pediatricians, small ho- small doctors' offices, major hospitals, they all fell in line. And now they're contractually obligated to do so. So let me take this from That large aspect and bring it again right down to the local level very quickly. You had WHO and WEF writing these orders. The CDC followed it. Governors followed it. And then state departments of health followed it. And then what else happened after that? County health departments followed it. They all followed these things back from 2020, 2021. And they're, they're, explanation for not making arrests and their explanation for not investigating any of this is that they're chalking it up to a political debate, quote unquote, that this is a political debate. Mask wearing is a political debate. Shot taking is a political debate. When in fact, they are, they're not a political debate. It's a depopulation program and the use of the masks and the use of the shots are interconnected with one another on a constant basis. Always were. If you decrease the amount of oxygen that a person can receive inside of their body, you're more likely to make them ill. Combine that with a shot, they're killing themselves without even knowing it. Turn up the 5G and allow 5G towers to be in your town or city, they're really killing themselves without them knowing it. And so on and so on. So. Is this going to happen again? Yes, I believe this is going to happen again, as you heard Todd Callender say, and I have no reason to not believe him. I've be- even been in the same room as Todd Callender. that doesn't mean anything. Um, I was in the same room with Simone gold, uh, you know opposite ends of the spectrum there, but I'm more inclined to believe Todd than I am Simone Gold uh This is one of those issues again that is I know is being brought up and has been brought up but I hope that that you share this information with as many people as you can because this is likely to occur. Now, I'm going to use the internet term date fagging here. That's what happens when individuals, again, pick a particular date as to when they think something is likely to occur. I'm not necessarily going to do that, but what I will do is this. I'll ask you the question, and let's use history as the example. When is something like this likely to occur? The ramping up and kicking the 5G 211 at the right time, at the right frequency, to get done what they want to get done, which is more dead people. When is that likely to occur? They pulled the last card in 2020 regarding the fake COVID pandemic at a very interesting time, in particular from an education and public education standpoint, didn't they? They pulled it in March. They were talking about it a little bit in, in uh, November and December of, of, of 2019, but no one was paying attention. They ramped up the talk a little bit in January of 2020, a little more talk, no one really cares. Uh, February, there was even more talk, in particular after the fake um, impeachment of Donald Trump. And then March hit and they had nothing else on their docket, and it was green light go. And then they pulled that. When they pulled that lever to make that media message resonate and stick, it was at an interesting time from an education standpoint because many schools were on spring break. And as you've heard on this show, even from students themselves and and teachers and other people I've had on, when they pulled that in 2020, They went from, these schools went from being on spring break to never coming back for the remainder of the year. They quite literally had five or six months off before they returned in the fall of 2020 to then of course, either only do online education or do a hybrid of online education and, uh, you know, and and in in school learning, so to speak, but you had to wear masks. I, I think that that timing was purposeful because you needed those closures to scare people. The timing of the closure was necessary because it bled right into summer break. Now I think if they were to pull this, it's going to happen, and this is a year. Okay, it's going to happen anytime between now and a year from now. I know that's a big I know that's a big leap but they did it in an election year for a presidential election in 2020 why would why why wouldn't they do it in 2024 in an effort to try to get Joe Biden or some other nitwit installed in a position so let's look at it from just that election standpoint i think that that's likely to occur they'll pull the 2020 card in 2024 sometime. Now, when in 2024 will they do it to where it would have the largest impact and schools would have to close yet again? They might pull it in March of 2024. This is all plausible because, again, school would be closed again because county health departments would tell them to do so. Because county health departments are receiving their orders from state, and then private, and then global government. So do we have global government? Of course we do. Absolutely. No doubt about it, we have global government. We saw it already take place in 2020, 2021, 2022. It still exists. And the WHO treaty is a real thing. The pandemic treaty is a real thing. This has all been written out. This has all been planned. You heard me bring up con plan eight 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 on the show. I ran through at least at the very least a summary of what it was, and then its fictitious scenario. But as Todd said, and he's right, that fictitious preparatory scenario for the military has no solution in it. It has no, well, wait a minute, what would cause something like this to happen? Or, uh, you know, maybe there's a remedy or a way out of it, or maybe there's something that the military can do to fight back against what's happening. That's not how Con Plan 888 was, was devised as a strategic, um, training operation. It was devised to turn the military against us and turn law enforcement against us. So go back to 2020. Was law enforcement turned against you? Yeah, they sure were. Yes, you had sheriff's departments come out and say, we're not going to arrest anybody for not wearing a mask. Well, they don't have to arrest somebody for not wearing a mask, but what they can do is arrest people for disorderly conduct, for not wanting to wear a mask and wanting to get food. Again, my mother was thrown out of Kroger's for for not wearing a mask back in 2020. This was a thing. This happened. Happened to lots of people. That's where the managers of those stores, when you're confronted, they say, "We're gonna we're, we're going to call the police if you don't leave. We're asking you nicely to leave. And you say, I have a right to shop here no matter what. I'm shopping here. I'm buying food. I'm doing what I'm doing. Leave me alone. They call the police. You tell that to the police, what are the police going to say? They're going to say, now you're engaging in disorderly conduct and criminal trespass. Now you're not allowed to be here. This is going to happen again. Because they want it to happen again. Because they want to install more of their own government. It's going to happen again. I'm not saying that to doom. I'm saying that to be vigilant. I'm saying it to be preparatory in your frame of mind. Guns, ammo, spring water that hasn't been contaminated by these chemical spills, have gasoline on hand, generators, grow a garden this coming spring and summer, fill it to the brim, save as much as you can to eat it throughout the course of whenever. Again, storable food, the stuff that lasts years, you know, the stuff that lasts 25 years, buy bins of that. I mean, it's a real thing. This stuff, you know, people need to acquire this kind of stuff. And this will be an intercontinental thing that occurs. Um, I am more likely to put my chips in that basket or on that side of the table than I am this never happening again. I just think it's going to happen again. And I think that what Todd laid out and what you heard Mark Steele lay out in the previous episode is likely to occur. That's, that's the whole point. Here's the bright side to all of this, and this is where I'm going to end, end the episode. The bright side is that we know this. Those of us who know, know, and we, and we are critical thinkers and we're able to uh, plan this out or at the very least see this for, for what it is. The towns and the cities and the people that run them, government, who don't know this, who are willfully going along with this, We are going to have to take their place in the future because they're not going to be around much longer. The people who survive, this is going to be our opportunity to take back what is rightfully ours, and then point our guns in the right direction. Metaphorically, if not literally. That's my take on that. With that said, let's look at some smaller examples as to why this is why why this is all happening, of course. Well, we know why it's happening, but but why there are patriots in control in particular places and white hats in control in particular places. Number one, we're hearing about this. We've overwhelmed the internet with factual information for a very long time. We own it. Yes, it's hard to find particular things, but once you learn how to find particular things, you never stop. That's number one. Number two, things are reaching the media now that never used to, and the media wouldn't even bring them up. Because if the media brought them up, it would be game over, and that would be a huge problem. Media doesn't want that. So why all of a sudden are they bringing particular things up? Let me give you one small example. Why would Michael Strahan, on an ABC This Morning interview, ask DeMar Hamlin, what? which again, I have no reason to believe it's not really DeMar Hamlin. I I, I believe it probably is. But Why would they allow that question to be asked of DeMar Hamlin regarding what his doctors told him about what caused this? And then DeMar Hamlin gets Lockjaw. You better believe that ABC filters the questions that are asked. You better believe that that normally, in a completely black hat controlled operation, they'd never even ask the question. It would just be those two football players, former football players, high five and slapping each other on the butt, doing what they do. And that would be the end of it. Man, glad you made a full recovery. You know, you look great, blah, blah, blah. I understand you might have a heart condition, but you know, whatever. Everybody has to leave the business for their own reasons and, and this, that, and the other. And now you're going to become a charitable organization and yada, yada, yada. And that'll be the end of that. Why would he even be allowed to ask the question? Was he told to ask the question? Because he didn't look comfortable asking the question and it and of course wasn't received very comfortably from Demar Hamlin either was it there have to be white hats behind the scenes making sure that the question gets asked in order to wake people up you heard Donald Trump even say it back in that speech that he gave a long time ago where people were expecting him to you know where he he said he was running for office in 2024 they were expecting a, more out of that speech from an upfront standpoint than maybe what they thought they got. But he openly said, "We have to wake," and I'm paraphrasing, but he openly said, "We have to wake up more people. More people have to wake up." He's right about that. There's still too many asleep people. But I'll give you a quick example of how I know people are waking up and they're tired of government. We had a tornado warning in our town the other day. Um, I got the alert on my phone, tornado warning, Tor- tornado touchdown in Indiana it was coming, coming right for us. Uh, and I would say two minutes later, three minutes later, four minutes later, the, the city's sirens, tornado sirens started to go off. No tornado hit our town. And then I started driving around to run a couple of errands. And there were people out and about with tornado sirens going off, not caring. They're looking around in the sky and they're going, yep, I don't see a tornado. We're all right. And they just kept doing what they were doing. Life doesn't stop and start because government tells you so. There's a lesson to be had there, I think. And there's a lot of positive things that are taking place, and I think that was one of them. I was watching my fellow Americans not give a damn about a tornado warning because they have the ability to look into the sky and then look at their cell phone and look at the radar and see what's really going on, and see that, oh wow, the sun's out. There's hardly any clouds in the sky. It's pretty crystal clear. Yeah, there's some dark clouds out in the distance, but you know, so it's going to rain a little bit later. Big deal. And then that was it. No tornado touched down. Everybody was fine. If governments and local governments pull this again, which they're going to, the pushback is going to be immense, but it's only going to be the jabbed that are going to feel the ill effects of it first. I'm certain of that. Certain of it. I'm not wishing for this to happen. It's a horrible scenario. But as you heard Todd Callender say, they've planned for it already. It already exists in all their paperwork. And the WHO Plandemic Treaty, Plandemic Treaty is a plan. And they got to follow it because they're globalists and that's what they do. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, that's the episode. Lots there, I know. Lots to think about. Govern yourselves. That's the lesson always. Dr. Robin McCutcheon will be on. I'm sure we'll talk about this more along with a variety of other issues. Stay tuned for that on Friday. With that, God bless. Take care. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.